welcome to the Someone Somewhere podcast. It's Tuesday, July 6th, and I'm your host, Nicole. This is episode 47. This episode is brought to you by hashtag FamTaughtMe, my fertility awareness education initiative. Find all of my fertility awareness information on my website, www.learnbodyliteracy.com, and follow me on Instagram at FamTaughtMe to learn more. I'm available for one-on-one consultations, and I'd love to connect with you. I'm also excited to announce my newest book, Fertility Awareness Through the Five Senses. This book has been a great resource for adults and teens alike, which has been so rewarding for me, and I invite you to check it out on my site where you can order this book and all of my other resources directly. This episode is going to focus on some tips to make you a better charter and also tips for easier charting. The first thing I wanted to address is, well, why create tips for easier charting? Aren't you compromising the efficacy of charting properly by using shortcuts? Hopefully not. To me, the themes of practicality, manageability, and sustainability are necessary for long-term charting. So when we teach people how to chart, I think we need to teach them in a way that reflects that they may be on this journey for a very long time. So how do we help them make that commitment without it seeming like a daunting, impossible task? I know that having one more thing to manage or one more thing you feel like you need to be responsible for sometimes can put you over the edge. Um, I've heard from several different people in regards to getting started charting um, and what exactly prevents them from doing so. But I try not to think of charting this way and take on a whole different mindset about it. Instead, I really cultivate a sense of ownership to charting and focus on the easiest way to get the best outcome as the fundamental way that I approach my charting. So no pressure, no perfection, just a reflection of my life for the rest of my menstruating years. Becoming a more empowered charter is actually the key to it taking less time out of your day as well as not being anxious or confused about where you are in your cycle. It allows you to really listen to what your body is telling you and to respect its unique needs as you grow and change throughout your life. Charting, just like anything else, needs change. Nothing that you do for 40 years is going to stay the same. I find it truly inspiring to hear that people have charted for 10 15, 20 years of their cycles, and I'm hitting year six myself of charting. I'm actually in cycle 73. But in those years, I've taken a deep dive into the realm of fertility awareness and autonomous fertility control. What that's taught me is that change is inevitable. It's built into our biology to understand flow and change and cycles of beginnings and endings in life. So I think that teaching charting for the long term must involve strategies that make it easier and more pleasurable to do that. This podcast is primarily for those who are already charting and looking for ways to hone their skills. But please remember that you must fully understand the rules for your fertility awareness system before jumping into these tips and shortcuts. I teach the symptothermal method, and you might want to check out episode 17, Four Rules of FAM for Contraception, 
or any of the earlier episodes on the fertility signs and fertility awareness basics if you're unfamiliar with some of the basic vocabulary of this system. However, even if you're new to charting, this episode can be useful for you to decide how to perform fertility awareness for maximum effectiveness while managing your time well. The ideal charting scenario, in my mind, is minimum time spent charting, but maximum reliability and 100% success at your stated goal. That may be preventing pregnancy or conception, or perhaps working on your hormones for a more typical cycle. Just remember that the more you choose to place on the chart, whether that's the three fertility signs or any of the custom categories, the more health information you're going to gain over time by being able to interpret the patterns that you see. It's about a balance of what the system can do for you versus how much you want to make it a part of your life. This is a good thing to ask yourself before you really commit to charting, what that balance is for you. Because I've seen that charting works in a variety of scenarios, even scenarios where people doubt that it can be used effectively. Uh, examples being by teenagers, uh, by sex workers, by single people, by polyamorous people, by disabled people, and by lots of other groups that people have brought up to me as sort of like gotchas to the system of teaching fertility awareness to everyone. So with that said, if you have the desire to learn this information and you're committed and diligent with your charting skills, this system can work for the vast majority of menstruating people in some way, shape, or form. So let's get into the tips. Tip number one, don't rely on intuition. This is where the shortcuts can go very wrong. Intuition, though it can be strong and though it has guided me throughout my life, it can be inaccurate in this case. We have to rely on our outward senses to observe what our body is truly doing from day to day in as objective of a manner as possible. Although we do want to be increasing our mind-body-spirit connection, the chart is your guide pertaining to the actual deployment of this method as effective contraception, for instance. Remember that your body always reacts to its environment and that ovulation can be delayed for several reasons. Each upcoming cycle always has the potential to be different from any cycle before it. It truly means throwing out the idea that past cycles can determine future cycles. Something off about your cycle's pattern can definitely serve as a red flag that something is awry. However, you need to use the chart as a guide for figuring out what exactly happened. That could be from travel or sickness or another stressor that causes an ovulatory delay. Intuition can be really useful when you feel like things are rolling and your body is consistently doing the same thing each month, which is really awesome. It's great to feel the flows of ovulation and menstruation doing their thing and feeling your hormones dancing in harmony together. But to use this as a method and going beyond just the awareness portion of it, you need to make the chart your primary tool of measuring your fertility status. Tip number two, master drawing a cover line, establishing your basic infertile pattern, and how to identify the point of change. Usually, 
when you start off learning about fertility awareness, the first things to conquer are the three fertility signs. You know, this makes sense considering we're generally never told that observing our bodily changes could tell us anything about fertility or pregnancy or when it's safe to have sex without the chance of pregnancy. So once you get an understanding of how to chart these three fertility signs, these three concepts that I've just mentioned are essential to charting properly so that you understand the beginning and the end of each fertile window. And this, I believe, is a necessary skill for charting effectively. If you can't draw the bounds of the beginning or the end of the fertile window, you don't really have a good grasp on this method at all. So let's kind of start back at the beginning with drawing a cover line. A cover line is a horizontal line that you draw on your chart that separates your pre-ovulatory temperatures from your post-ovulatory temperatures. The cover line provides a visual representation of your temperature shift and can provide insight into other aspects of your cycle health, such as potential luteal phase deficiencies. To draw your cover line, you'll first need to identify your temperature shift. A temperature shift, or thermal shift, is defined as a temperature that is at least 0.2 degrees Fahrenheit or 0.11 degrees Celsius higher than your temperature from the previous day, and at least 0.1 degrees Fahrenheit or 0.05 degrees Celsius higher than any of your temperatures from the previous six days. So you're in your preovulatory phase, your temps are going along, and then one day your temperature jumps up above any of the six days before it. This is where you go and measure to these temp shift standards that I just mentioned. If it fits the criteria, you want to pay close attention for the following two days. So once you notice your temperature shift is 0.2 degrees Fahrenheit or 0.11 degrees higher than the previous six days for three days consecutively, this is when you'll place your cover line. To place your cover line, you're going to place it 0.1 degrees Fahrenheit or 0.05 degrees Celsius above the highest of those six previous temperature readings before your temp shift. So those preovulatory temperatures that you're measuring against, you're going to pick the highest one out of those six, and you'll place that cover line about 0.1 degrees above it. I keep a record of all of my chart archives on Patreon if you ever want to check out some of my cover lines and see what they look like in practice. But following this basic formula will allow you to draw a cover line if a temp shift occurs. The second skill to master has to do with the beginning of the fertile window, and that is finding your basic infertile pattern, or BIP. A basic infertile pattern is the principle that everyone has their own unique pattern of dry days or non-wet secretions immediately following menstruation. It's an indication that estrogen levels are not high enough to have started the fertile window. Thus, the basic infertile pattern describes safe days for unprotected sex without chance of pregnancy in the pre-ovulatory phase. These will also sometimes be known as dry days, or days after menstruation where there is an unchanging quality of dry vulva from one day to the next. You'll want to take 
at least the first three cycles to establish your basic infertile pattern and if you even have one. So here's how to do that. After every menstruation concludes, keep a close watch on your cervical fluid observations. If your menstruation ends on day five, from days six through 10, look for a dry vulva, which is a dry feeling of wiping when you use the bathroom and no cervical fluid on the toilet tissue. And basically for unchanging non-wet conditions one day after the next. You want to avoid using lube or having semen in your vaginal canal so you can accurately observe your basic infertile pattern during this time. After three months of observation, you should be able to better establish if you tend to have any dry days after menstruation. If your cycles are usually above 29 days long in total length, it's more likely that you do have a basic infertile pattern after menstruation, but if your cycles tend to be shorter than 25 days, it's more likely that you do not have a basic infertile pattern. And basically, your fertility window begins overlapping with the end of your menstruation or directly after it concludes. So remember that a basic infertile pattern may shift slightly each cycle. So that brings us to the last of these concepts, which is called the point of change. The point of change is the key to understanding when the fertile window begins. And this is where I think people are most likely to make mistakes because you're relying on cervical fluid observations instead of the temperature observations that are at the end of the fertile window. So carefully observe your basic infertile pattern. And on these days, be especially mindful of any change in the amount, color, or quality of cervical fluid. And also pay attention to any change in vaginal sensation. Even if the amount of fluid is slight, if it's anything more than dry, it indicates that there lies the point of change. The point of change will mark the beginning of the fertile window for that cycle and you must make decisions that reflect that until you confirm that ovulation has occurred. Similarly, the other point of change resides on the other end of the ovulatory cycle in either the three plus days of high temperatures or four plus days of dry vulva after the periods of heightened wetness. Usually these signs occur together. So the point of change is an important concept because it means that you understand how to use the rules to open and close the fertile window properly each cycle. That is certainly the key to getting the outcome that you want. Tip number three. If you are transitioning off of a form of birth control and or experiencing irregular cycles and symptoms of hormone imbalance, give yourself one year for observation. That may seem like a long time at first, and it is, but because it's likely that your cycles are irregular or maybe not happening at all, none of the regular rules are going to make much sense at first. You'll be starting off with cycles that are indicative of some sort of issue. This isn't uncommon when stopping birth control, but sometimes people become concerned and go back to their doctor to discuss it. And what ends up happening is usually that some tests are run and then your doctor is going to tell you that you have a hormone imbalance. And usually their recommendation would be to get back on the pill to regulate the side effects. Well, now that we know that birth control is endocrine disruption, we know that 
it's actually totally normal to see weird, wonky-looking cycles for at least the first three to six months after getting off. If the problem persists, it's likely that there was a predisposition to a hormone condition earlier, and either birth control brought that out or it created the disruption altogether. So either way, the issues with this must be addressed, even though they're complex. Unfortunately, to teach fertility awareness, we sort of rely on the normal parameters of the menstrual cycle to explain the method for the purposes of contraception, for example. It only makes sense in the context of a healthy cycle. However, that doesn't mean that you can't use FAM with a hormone imbalance. Quite the opposite, actually. Instead of using it for contraceptive purposes, though, if this is the case for you, you need to reset your focus to figuring out what the irregular-looking charts are trying to tell you. And that's where the year of time comes in. Being able to see multiple charts of your own will definitely give you more experience with understanding your hormonal pattern and whether there are issues with estrogen, progesterone, or testosterone. If during this year of observation you do want to use the rules for contraception, that is also possible because we rely on biomarkers. What I would do in this case is consider using the rules at their most strict interpretation and even creating wider fertile window rules uh, than what is instructed for textbook cycles. So for example, some people like to use barriers or withdrawal for the entire preovulatory phase, only switching to unprotected sex when they see a clear temperature shift sustain itself for several days. Because the endocrine system is so complex and birth control can be so hard on the body, I definitely think we want to make sure we understand what support you need to regain a healthy typical cycle. And this in turn will make it a lot easier to understand your cervical fluid and to just use the fertility awareness method properly as a form of contraception. There are a couple additional bonus rules that you can utilize if you notice you're dealing with long periods of anovulation or no ovulation. The first is the unchanging dry day rule. First, abstain from intercourse for two weeks and carefully observe your cervical fluid. If you observe no changes in your cervical fluid for this time, this can be established as your baseline for what infertile times in your cycle are like. The rule states that you are safe for unprotected sex the evening of every unchanging or dry day. However, the next day could always be fertile if cervical fluid is observed, in which case you need to then wait for either a thermal shift to signify ovulation before resuming uh, unprotected sex or see the next rule. So to repeat that, if you observe cervical fluid at any point during the day in any way, shape, or form, this rule just won't apply. Uh, then you need to just observe the rules for contraception as they are. This is only for truly dry days during anovulatory cycles, long periods where you are not ovulating and your body's not going through any changes uh, related to uh, heightened estrogen. And that's what is causing that cervical fluid to show up. The second bonus rule is called the patch plus four day rule. This connects to the above rule. 
in that if you see a wet day, you must consider yourself fertile until the evening of the fourth consecutive non-wet day. So this rule is very similar in the regular rules. If you go back to the earlier episode, it's very similar to the peak plus four day rule, which is basically about counting your days after your body switches from wet back to dry. The patch day rule may help if you have really long cycles with several mucus patches within each cycle. So now I'm going to switch it up and talk about some of the tips that are like shortcuts for performing the method. Although I don't recommend this for new charters, uh, I want you to be collecting as much information as possible if you just started. But I do see the value in a seasoned charter sometimes taking some time off when they need it or when their life calls for it. So tip number four is if you fulfill the peak plus four day rule and the temp plus three day rule, you don't have to continue charting cervical fluid for the rest of that cycle. The basic principles of the symptothermal fertility awareness method are about corroboration. We stack multiple fertility signs to pinpoint the fertile window and ovulation more effectively and most importantly, to properly identify when the fertile window begins and ends. The most important hormonal event of the menstrual cycle is ovulation itself. So most of the changes we are looking to occur are before, during, or directly after ovulation. Once you hit your luteal phase, we pretty much know the outcome. If the egg was not fertilized, you will have a menstruation about two weeks later, and if it was fertilized, your pregnancy is beginning. So with all of that said, if you fulfill both of the end of the fertile window rules, which are the temp plus three days and peak plus four days, you don't actually have to continue charting your cervical fluid for the rest of the cycle. I recommend continuing to do so because this tells us about how estrogen levels are doing in the luteal phase, and that can be important information However, if you want to take a break from it and you expect your vulva to mostly be dry and unchanging during those weeks, this is a perfectly acceptable shortcut to take. Tip number five, you can take the week off temp charting during your menstrual bleed. Once you hit your bleed, your waking body temperatures are likely to be erratic And these temperatures don't really tell us useful information other than the descent back down to your pre-ovulatory range of temperatures. If you decide not to temp chart your bleed periods, you can use the previous cycle's cover line temperature as a guide for the rest of your follicular phase um, and where you expect your pre-ovulatory temps to kind of hang out. Then you'll just apply the thermal shift rules as normal. You can also take the last week before your bleed off from charting temperatures, but only if you've confirmed seven temperatures consistently above the cover line. This means that if you confirmed ovulation and your fluid has dried up, you don't need to take any observations for the final week of your bleed on either cervical fluid or temps if you don't want to. 
Now, this is going to make the chart look less complete. And in my opinion, it's less interesting. You know, you aren't seeing the beautiful pattern. But we have to acknowledge that there are some busy charters out there, including busy parents practicing this method. And sometimes these breaks are necessary for a number of personal reasons. And they won't change the out to take this shortcut won't change the outcome of the effectiveness of the method. And this is why I wanted to make these shortcuts at least known to you. And then you can decide uh, what you want to do with them. Tip number six is a cervical position shortcut. Instead of checking your cervical position daily, check it once a week or once at each quadrant of the cycle. With cervical position being an optional sign, you could choose to omit it entirely if you so choose. Again, I don't recommend these shortcuts for beginners, but rather for folks who've seen several of their own cycle charts and they understand the principles well. So you might only use cervical position charting to check in with your other fertility signs when signs conflict maybe, or something of this sort. I would say the majority of the time I notice cervical position through sexuality and I don't necessarily check it with an internal check every day, but I still keep up with how it's feeling and then chart that. Tip number seven, begin charting each cycle no later than day six. So I just described a lot of shortcuts here, but the important part to remember is that once your bleed happens, you need to be thinking ahead to the next cycle and how you're going to chart it. For this reason, you need to follow either the first five days rule or modified first three days rule, depending on your cycle lengths. And this is because the first five days rule states that you are not fertile for the first five days of your bleed if you had an obvious thermal shift in the previous cycle and your cycles are typically over 29 days. So by day six, you need to be paying care and attention to your charting skills. But basically those first five days, you could basically take that, that time as an off time from charting and then begin uh, seriously paying attention and being aware and making sure you're charting properly on day six going forward. Tip number eight. If you lose track of one of the two fertility signs, the primary signs of waking body temperature or cervical fluid, you must modify the rules for this cycle to increase contraceptive effectiveness. For example, if you are only temp charting, you won't be able to determine any preovulatory safe days because you aren't charting cervical fluid, which is how we figure that out. Therefore, you're only going to want to resume unprotected sex with ejaculate inside the vaginal canal after three days of high temperatures are observed and a cover line can be fully established. Similarly, the peak plus four day rule can be utilized without the use of temperature, but you must wait until the fourth consecutive evening after your last day of fertile quality fluid. If your fluid returns on any day, you must consider it a fertile day, and then you would start the day count of counting the four days completely over again. If you're unclear about any of these four rules that I'm mentioning, you shouldn't use shortcuts, and you should head back to episode 17 and go over, take some notes on the four rules of FAM for contraception. But this rule basically establishes that, you know, if one of the two signs is not available, then you have to basically use the strictest, uh, you know, interpretation of the rules uh, for the one sign that you do have. 
Tip number nine, you don't need to check cervical fluid internally. Symptothermal methods are based on the presence of external cervical fluid at the vaginal opening. It's a key concept for identifying the point of change where cervical fluid changes from dry to wet. If you wish to do internal checks, you only need to do them on days where your vulva on the outside seems dry externally. Otherwise, if your vulva was not dry, then these would already count as wet or fertile days. So it's fine if you like doing internal checks, but just keep in mind that you're more likely to get confused with daily internal checks because of the vaginal cell slough, which are basically the mucosa cells that are inside the vagina that are important for maintaining healthy vaginal microbiome balance. So because there's always some level of moisture internally in the vaginal canal, many new charters seem to get confused by this. So always be conservative if you do find any excess fluid internally and make sure to mark that in your chart as a fertile day. But overall, you could completely do this method without any internal checking. So I just wanted to make that clear. I get that question a lot. Tip number 10. Transitioning back to cycling after childbirth means paying special attention to your cervical mucus patterns, which may go through numerous patches of wet cervical fluid and dry states back and forth before ever having your first menstrual bleed after giving birth. So all patches of wet cervical fluid seen postpartum should be treated as potentially fertile days. Different types of breastfeeding will produce different outcomes in terms of the return of your ovulatory cycle, um, as well as the age of the person. But the three major factors that suppress ovulation during breastfeeding are the duration in months, the frequency of feeds, and the intensity of nursing or when you start to introduce other food sources. So your first cycle following childbirth can be many months long. And initially, you'll just have uh, blood or spotting-tinged secretions as your uterus is healing. And in the first months of breastfeeding, you may have numerous patches of cervical fluid followed by several dry days um, and then going back to cervical fluid again. So return to tip number three for those two rules that you can use uh, during periods of anovulation in which uh, breastfeeding or the postpartum period would be considered one of those times. So you can return to tip number three for those two rules and you can use those rules during the postpartum period. Tip number 11, partner involvement can be very empowering. Think about how you feel about your partner being clued into or participating in the charting process. It can make it a lot easier and work in both of your favors physically and emotionally. It also teaches partners to be more aware of the power of their participation in sex. The last advantage is that your partner was also probably never properly educated about the menstrual cycle, and so this is a chance for them to do that in their adult life. Before you make the transition to FAM, it will be useful for you to talk to your partner, explain the method, and bring reference materials for them to look at. And once they understand the science and the principles, they should know what their role in the process is. And that can be as detailed as you'd like. 
I've heard several couples who've had the partner do the charting aspect and, you know, they love keeping track of the charts. And so it can be a really fun experience to bring them into the world of charting and so that they can better understand your hormonal cycling generally. Now, there are situations where reproductive abuse is a concern and charting for you in this case may be dangerous altogether, but you may want to keep your charting discreet for these reasons. So everyone's situation is quite different. You set the boundaries with this, but it's a good thing to keep in mind that this involves your partners as well as yourself, and making sure you have a plan for that uh, can potentially make charting a lot easier and even more fun. And my last tip for you today is tip number 12. Chart from a core place of empowerment rather than fear or anxiety. Charting is an interesting practice because as much as it can bring a sense of empowerment, I also notice it can bring on a lot of fear and anxiety. We have been taught to distrust our bodies and that our bodies are wild and monstrous and that they can't be tamed or understood. And fertility awareness demystifies a lot of this rhetoric. You know, it brings us into a world of data and rules and criterias. And if you follow the rules correctly and you understand the principles of practicing this method, it will work for you. Everyone is capable of getting to this place, but because many of us enter into this work from particularly disempowered vantage points, uh, coming off the pill, hormone imbalances, um, being confused by gynecology, having had medical trauma, having had relationship trauma, childbirth trauma, you know, the list goes on. It can make the beginnings of doing this method very intimidating and a little lonely even. So we need to continue creating community around fertility awareness so that we can learn from each other, learn faster, and truly become masters of ourselves and our bodies. If you feel unsure about something, simply don't take the risk. It's not worth it. And if you feel confusion, that means you don't have a good grasp on the principles and more study and more observation is needed. Your cycle doesn't always have to look perfect. It is a reflection of where you are at this point in your life, which can be pretty interesting. So we need to use this data as a tool without becoming consumed with perfection and wanting it to be something that it isn't at this very moment. You can always keep working on your health. That is inevitably going to be the solution to finding a chart that you're really happy with. So that's it. Those are the 12 tips that I hope, you know, you find useful in your charting work. And if you are charting at all, I just want to let you know how proud I am of you and how much it is your work and my work together that make fertility awareness more well-known to women and girls and people who menstruate everywhere around the world. So these concepts are really useful for me as I go through my 73rd cycle charting. And I'm so happy to be able to share them with you today. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with someone. You can find my show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And if you can take a moment to subscribe, to rate me, to give me a review, I would really appreciate that because doing so helps more people find this show and spread the message of fertility awareness. So this episode is again brought to you by my Fertility Awareness Education Initiative. You can find it on Twitter at hashtag FamTaughtMe. 
You can book a session with me by heading over to www.learnbodyliteracy.com or follow me on Instagram at fam taught me to learn more about what I do. I'm excited that I now have three published books to offer a paper charting journal, a guide to fertility awareness as contraception, and my newest book, Fertility Awareness Through the Five Senses, my first teen and young adult focused book. So your support is always appreciated and really fuels my fire to keep going. So thanks again for listening. And this concludes episode 47. I can't believe it, but 47 of the Someone Somewhere podcast. Good night.